Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Com Report. Wherever you get your podcast, you're watching on YouTube, do me a big favor, hit that like button and hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now on the site about the early impact of new offense corner slash assistant head coach Eric Bieniemy. Don't know what it's going to look like during the season, but I know there was a big impact this spring and what players had to say about it, what Ron Rivera had to say about it, but also just some observations and just things you kind of pick up along the way. By the way, I did have a longer interview with Ron Rivera about the enemy's impact. I'm going to play that next week. It's an audio interview, so just stay tuned for that, and I'll have a little introduction before that as well and talk about some Things going on. Anyway, so that'll probably run next week or so. Um, Don't forget, I'm also going to go down to two podcasts a week until we get really close to training camp. So today, I have the first of a two-part conversation with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson. Today, we discuss the quarterback, Sam Howell, of course, and in the entire offense what Logan thinks, where he thinks this offense is at after the spring, and as we inch closer to training camp, his opinion or his impressions of Eric Bieniemy so far, what he likes, what he what he has seen from this offense. Is he optimistic? All that good stuff. Then on Thursday, I'll run part two of my conversation with Logan when we discuss the defense. So stay tuned for that later this week. Now, before I get to my conversation with Logan, just a couple things. Let's start with the fact that, and you should, you know this by now, but just in case you've been sleeping under a rock and you didn't know it, the NFL did, um, did, excuse me, did set a date for a special session with the other owners to discuss slash vote, likely vote on the sale of the commanders from the Snyders to the Josh Harris group. The finance committee still has to recommend approval to the other owners for the sale before the owners can vote on it, but that the it's anticipated that will be coming soon as well. And and I've said this before, but we do expect the Mary Jo White report, or at least we are told that there's a good chance the Mary Jo White report could be released before the sale goes through. So they can kind of wipe everything out and then start fresh with training camp the following week. The camp opens on the 26th, the sale goes through on the 20th. Good chance that there will be a press conference in DC with Josh Harris um, on the 21st. And then again, you get the weekend to talk about that. And then you move forward to training camp the following week would be great. Quite a buzz, I think, for this franchise, if they're able to pull that one off and, and get this over and everything done, get the Mary Jo White report out before that point as well. Get Just get move on from the from that era and look forward to the new era. Speaking of which, with the new era, 
And again, I've told you this, so just wanted to be clear on this. The the top priorities for this new ownership group would be stadium evaluating what they have as far as like the Jason Wrights of the world, the business side. And of course, on the football side, it's it would be an ongoing thing. I think everything, I, every indication I've gotten is that they're going to take the season and kind of really evaluate what they have, be very patient with things. But, the, but looking for a stadium will be a massive top priority. The one thing that won't be a top priority is changing the name. Now, and I've told you that before. Now, does that mean they would never do that? That they, or excuse me, that they would never look into that? No, I can't say that. So I think that's. But I. But the, every time I've said this, it's more. Is it a top priority? No. And you can argue that it should be. It's not for them, so it doesn't matter. And you know, but would it be down the road? I can't rule that out. And I know that Harris would be asked about it at the at the at his press conference. I'm sure he'll be asked about it because I know a lot of you want to know about that. My guess is he'll just kind of say, hey, that's not something we're going to take on right now, you know, and just kind of kick it down the road a little bit. But, you know, I think if it's something where they say after a year or two that it remain that they feel like it remains a big problem, then of course I think they would look at it because you'd have to. The problem that that with I think, and I've heard from people in the group too, that you'd have is that is there really a name that's going to satisfy everybody? So is it worth going through all the process of changing it? Or is it just better off to build a really good franchise and just figure that they're going to embrace it at some point? I don't know. That's all for down the road. But again, not a top priority, but I would not dismiss if down the road, they still think it's a problem that, you know, I'm not going to say they would never take it on because I don't know that for sure. Anyway, just wanted to go over that. And then the last, the last thing is, um, for some reason, I've been seeing a couple things on on Twitter about uh, Nick Gates has won the starting center job. I didn't know that was really in question because when they signed him, he was signed here to be their starting center. They drafted Ricky Stromberg to to provide a lot of depth and insurance at center, but he was not drafted to necessarily come right in and compete to start. They paid Gates to start at center, so it wasn't like you know when you're watching the sprints, like oh, is this a competition? I never viewed it that way. He's always been the guy who's going to start. Now, could Stromberg eventually push him? I, you know, if Gates doesn't play well or if he gets hurt, then yeah, then it opens the door for Stromberg. But they really like Gates, and and I think the other players like him. So, but yeah, I just I it's funny because I'd seen a couple of things on that, and you know, whether from fans or whatever, and just a little bit surprising because I didn't realize that that was in question for a lot of people. So just know the starting center is going to be Nick Gates barring something unforeseen. Anyway, that's it. Enough for me. Let's get to my conversation about the commander's offense, taking looking at where Logan Paulson felt they were after the spring and looking ahead to the summer and the season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. School is out and summer is here, so it's time to plan your next family adventure. With eight different levels, 16 courses, 250 climbing obstacles, and over 4,000 feet of zip lines, the Adventure Park at Sandy Spring, located in Montgomery County, Maryland, is the largest ropes course and zip line park in the country. Beat the heat and join us after dark for some night climbing, 
When the sun goes down, the park is lit up, allowing you to climb under the stars. Check out their glow-in-the-park events for extra glow lights and music throughout the forest. Want to keep your feet on the ground? Grab a bite to eat from the food truck and give axe throwing a try. Perfect for first-timers or experts, their projector systems allow you to throw at traditional targets, play tic-tac-toe, connect for, or even hunt zombies. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any ticket by entering the code KIME23DC at checkout. That's promo code KIME23DC, K-E-I-M-2-3-D-C. Now open seven days a week. This is the perfect time of year to get outside and join the adventure at theadventurepark.com. Logan, as always, I'm very happy to have you on. Always one of the smartest discussions on this podcast. So let's start with, I wrote a story recently about the the, imp- the early impact of Eric Bieniemy. What do you see? And we talked about this off air yeah. a couple of days ago, but what do you see as the biggest impact he's made just from your ability to watch practices, watch, you know, uh, you know, the iPad and watch it on the field. What's been the biggest impact you think he's made so far? Well, I mean, obviously there's like the X's and O's it's a new offense. It's a West coast offense, West coast terminology, which the players have talked about. Um, there's a level of detail kind of attacking, you know, in that three to five step area, but you know, offense is offense. And I think the thing that makes an offense come alive uh, come to life is how the coordinator and how the coaches communicate that. And, you know, we were talking the other day about how important it is to have a detailed perspective when coaching an offense. And I think EB, the thing that you, when you watch practice, when you listen to practice, when you watch how he interacts with the players, he has a very clear vision and he is good at expressing that kind of high level detail to the players. And I think that that's something that, you know, not to knock anybody that w- that's been here before, but um, something that he's bringing that I think is going to really help, help every position, help, you know, the receivers, help the tight ends, help the running backs, help the quarterback. And especially with a young quarterback, I think that level of detail is super important because I find that quarterbacks, unless they're a veteran, unless they're super experienced, unless you're giving them good structure, they can get a little bit lost. Like defenses now are so complex, right? They run, you know, all this, like, uh, it's not, you know, middle open, you know, so your cover twos, your quarters, uh, middle field closed, uh, cover three man, man concepts with this, with the post safety. It's not that clear anymore. Defenses understand that's how quarterbacks work. And so when you can give the the quarterback a structure and kind of a, a safety net in those situations, um, I think it, it leads to better quarterback play. So I think the level of detail EB's brought, in addition to the difference in scheme, are, are the biggest things I've seen, you know, when watching practice. Because one of the questions I'd had and what I asked you the, the other day was like, okay, they've changed up some the way they practice. They changed yeah. up the structure of practice and all that which is all fine and good and it's different, you know, but, but the, you know, the rationale is like, was that part of the impact, but it really does seem to be more about the details of the position or the position more so than the changes in the structure of it. Or do you think that they're kind of all tied together? Well, you know, to say that the the change in structure is insignificant, I think is overstating, but if I was going to say, if I was going to prioritize one, I definitely think it's the level of detail and the passion that EB is bringing to the offense. Um, Because, you know, I've been a part of a multitude of different offenses. You know, I think I played in, played in four of them when I was in college. I played in, you know, probably five or six of them when I was in the NFL, all a little bit different, all a little bit uh, different emphasis, but the thing that kind of sticks out is the concepts are the same. 
the thing that makes those concepts work, that, that makes the run scheme work, that makes the drop back work, make the play pass work is the details and understanding how the concept you're installing is, is designed to attack, attack certain styles of defense. So when I look at, um, you know, EB and this offense, I definitely think there's a clear vision of, of what's happening and a clear line of communication and a clear standard. And so like, I know people want to talk about the change in, defensive practice structure you know they're not running the football a whole bunch um you know it's all seven on seven it's all team pass it's you know you know it's not kind of traditional offseason work that is significant but i do think the thing that's more significant is the passion and the energy and the focus that eb is bringing because i think that's the thing that's going to pay pay long-term dividends for this team how much do players latch on to that aspect versus change in scheme that's a good question. I think, um, you know, we've talked, I think I've mentioned this to you on before on this podcast, like there is a, when the coordinator is passionate and the coordinator has a belief in what they're doing and it's very clear what the coordinator sees, it gives the player confidence in what the coordinator is saying. It gives the player confidence in scheme because ultimately like you need to get buy-in from the players, right? If you, you could have the best best scheme in the world for on, on paper, right? But if you can't communicate it and you can't get your, jimmies and joes to buy into that it's not going to go anywhere for you like it needs to come alive and you need to impassion those players to say oh i believe that when i run this dig the way he coached me to run it at the depth he coached me to run it in the timing he coached me to run it versus this coverage i will be open and i will get the ball and when you can do that you know like one of the you know last year you heard a couple times like guys saying oh like the offense doesn't get me open or what you know whatever it was like they just lost confidence in the scheme like those like those the route combinations like we've talked about, I've talked about with you, I know, are not they're not bad concepts, the ones they were running last year. Mm-hmm. It's just they weren't coached in a way that allowed the players to be successful, which again just this disenfranchises the player. And a disenfranchised player is not an effective football player. So I look at what EB's doing, and again, it's a long way to go, but in terms of building confidence in an offense and being detailed on the offense, I think he's putting these guys in a good position to be successful. And I think he's He's building an impassioned, impassioned group, which is important. And you, one of the things they get asked a lot too is about the difference in styles between the two systems. Yeah, and you know, and there's a generalistic version of that. But what's your take on the difference in styles between the two? The uh, between um, between what they ran under Scott and what they're yeah. going to run under Eric. And I know the West Coast, you know, Eric Coriel concepts are similar. It does seem like in this one, you want a little bit, maybe more of the three quick three-step drops, mm-hmm. those kind of things to get the playmakers, the ball in space a little bit quicker, that kind of thing. But from your perspective. Yeah, I actually did a project for Command Center on this about the difference between the Eric Coriel and the West Coast offense. And one of the things that I think, you know, like there's been a lot of cross-pollination. There's a lot of similarities between the two. But the biggest similarity, you hear this thrown around a lot, and hopefully we can explain it a little bit, is Air Coriel demands vertical separation. They try to challenge the defense vertically. And as the defense uh, abides by these vertical concepts, it creates space underneath. So I think like last year you heard Scott and some of his assistants say, we're reading deep to short. The idea being is you check the deep concept, the defense respects that, and it opens up the the 10, 15-yard dig behind it you can complete the football there. I love those that con- dig in the air, Coriel. Yeah, yeah. And th- those concepts are extremely effective. They're, they're very, very effective. The timing is awesome. It's great, right? I think the the difference is when you compare last year's offense to a guy like Kyle or a traditional West Coast offense, which Kyle is. He's, he's a West Coast disciple, is there's a huge emphasis 
on stretching the defense horizontally. And so I'm not so much worried about the vertical passing game. I'm worried about creating good throwing windows for the quarterback by by demanding that the defense expand 53 yards to to accommodate my cut my my passing concept. And so Kyle does that in a couple different ways. You know, he runs the football, he demands that you, you know, you stretch with the run to the right, he throws back to the left, he makes sure that the backs are really working for width on those flare routes and those wheels and those flats to make sure that the linebackers stretch out so he can hit those those kind of um around the hash throws. And so, you know, I and I the other thing that, that sticks out to me is that the West Coast offense is designed to accommodate lack of personnel and what i mean by that is your quarterback does not need to have the strongest arm you don't need to have the best offensive line because the ball is in and out of the quarterback's right. hand quickly and we're not pushing the ball down the field air coriel you need some pieces around you to make that go right vertical passing attack you need a big receiver who can make 50 50 contested catches right you need um, an excellent offensive line to hold up in those five and seven step drops that are just straight drop back because you're going to run a lot of gap scheme runs Gap scheme runs play actions traditionally aren't as effective as outside zone play actions. So you got to make sure you can accommodate that. <laughs> so I think that to me, those are some of the biggest differences is the horizontal stretch, which you see in practice almost every single day. He's stretching the defense this way to create those throwing lanes. Um, and again, you're going to get less stress on the offensive line in this system, going to get less stretch long-term on the quarterback, I think. So all of these things, I think, bode well. You lose some of the high-end upside big playability, no doubt, but um, I think you get a more consistent offense and an offense that, um, again, is not leveraging your skill position players and your offensive line the way that the Air Coriel traditionally does, and at times Scott did last year. And that's why when I when people ask about the line, I'm like, we have to see how the scheme is going to impact it because we can look at the names on paper, but you have to see how the scheme is going to impact their effectiveness because of that. And that's one of the things that I heard early on is that the three-step drops and that that style should help them to play action, the screens, and limiting, you know, maybe kind of slowing the pass rush through different means. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this during this OTA period, you know, like it was it's been well reported that it was predominantly passed. Right. Um, you know, but I have conversations with some of the edge rushers and they're like, it's it's still even hard in these situations because of the splits that they're in, the formations that they get in, the motions that they use to kind of say, is this guy going to chip me? Is this guy a screen candidate? You know, even that just kind of giving the rushers pause and concern right. in those situations is very, very valuable. And we're not even running the football. We're not running a lot of play action. We're not doing all these things that again are used to mitigate rushes. We haven't even talked about the screen game. There are tools. And I go back again, like I watched the first um, the Super Bowl game, Kansas city versus Philadelphia. Obviously EB was part of that staff and they understand not to leverage the offensive line. Like when you watch like the first 15 plays or so, I think there's two, two true dropbacks right and what i mean by that they were throwing the ball but one's off a quick game one's off an rpo one's off a play action one's a screen and then on our first first and 10 in the red zone we have a drop back so the rusher is a little bit confused he's like do can i actually rush in this situation it's on first down they're not expecting a drop back pass in that situation and it allows wiley and the rest of those offensive linemen to perform at a very high level you're not leveraging them down in and down out the way you do in a traditional, you know, Air Coriel West Coast offense, which is, you know, it's a lot more five and seven step dropbacks that really stresses those guys out. So I do think 
that you know while on paper this group is still a big question mark the offensive line I I, I really believe that the scheme is going to elevate them to a certain extent now are they going to be the best offensive line in football it seems unlikely but I do think they're going to be better than kind of the sum of their parts which was a big character some of the best offenses that I played for under Kyle and, and Sean and one of the reasons they were able to do that is because you're able to say let's understand that in terms of football offensive line is the hardest thing you're going to do outside of playing quarterback right maybe db because you, you're dealing with the best athletes all the time let's give them easier reps there and i think that's what um eric under andy reed has has learned and has shown an ability to do and what anything from watching this practice that that maybe surprised you this spring um surprised me uh you know not particularly. I mean, I think there's uh, the the diversity of thought and of usage with regards to certain people in the offense and certain personnel groupings, I think, was exciting to see. Because that's something I think that the fan base has always been talking about. Oh, how do we get player X in a better situation? Or how do we use them like this? And, uh, and I think our, uh, Coach Biennemi showed an ability to say, like, these players are mismatched weapons and we're going to utilize them in a way that allows us to better our offense and create these mismatches, create these one-on-ones and dictate to the defense. So um, I get really excited about some of the usage patterns, patterns of some of those guys. And, um, and it's something that we thought Scott was going to do his whole tenure here, but he never really showed it. And so to see coach Biennemi in his first off season, his first nine practices, scratching the surface of that already in a, in a much more dramatic way than Scott ever did. Um, is very exciting for me because that that to me is twenty is football in 2021, 2023. Like that's what Kyle, that's what makes Kyle's offense in San Francisco so effective. You have guys that are a little bit unconventional that can win one-on-one matchups and finding ways to maximize those relationships to the defense is the thing that makes that offense excellent. And we have some personnel here that can get that done. And um, I think EB has shown an awareness of that already. Which players you think will benefit the most from that thinking? Do I think uh, so? Obviously, just looking at Kansas City as kind of a, a roadmap. I think the um, I think a guy that sticks out to me definitively is uh, Logan Thomas, and it's not because he is a one to one comparison with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a Hall of Fame player, the best tight end maybe of all time in the NFL. He's very unique in terms of skill set, but I will say there's a lot more crossover in terms of skill set than you would originally think, right? You know, Travis Kelsey has the ability to win suddenly, but most of his wins in in pass in passing situations are just understanding coverages at a really high level. And Logan does that exceptionally well. So I think that that role and then obviously his relationship to Sam through the OTA period kind of to me shows, wow, he's ready for a larger role in this offense. Another one I think that um, and, you know, really all those tight ends, I think, are are in a good spot, not because of anything they did specifically in OTAs. But because when you look at Kansas City, they find ways to maximize that personnel grouping um, to 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 dictate to defenses and find one on ones with you know they had a, their backup tight end number eighty eight was a converted receiver. Mm-hmm. They find ways you know a couple times a game to get him in a one on one situation with a linebacker as a receiver. And I think Cole Turner has a skill set similar to that. I think Curtis Hodges has a skill set similar to that. Um, I think Logan Thomas has a skill set that could be utilized in that way. So that group. That, that 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 position itself just lends itself to those mismatches, and that's the way the position's going around the league. So I can't wait to see um, if that comes to fruition or not. Um, and also, you know, AG just because he's got 
that tremendous ability to be that satellite space player. And in Kansas City, they don't use their their um, their running backs, you know, and like as like these receiving options, but they use them as checkdowns, and they do a great job of finding space for those guys in those checkdown positions and off the screens, and finding a ton of space for McKinnon and Pacheco in that Kansas City offense. And I think AG catching the football in a checkdown in space is going to be awesome because that's where he excels. I don't want to see him running between the tackles. I want to see him on second and ten catching a check down and running for 15 in in a pseudo screen type of capacity, which I think his skill set really, really lends it to. And Brian Robinson, too, he catches the football better than you think. So Now, the other thing, too, is the timing of those check downs. Sure. How is that going to be different? Because that's something else we talked about. I thought you made some good points, but how is that going to be different? And why could it be more effective with the way they may run it under the enemy? I mean, it, right now it just seems like it's a bigger point of emphasis. And, you know, I go back to, again, when I when I watch good offenses, when I watch the Green Bay, when I watch Miami, when I watch San Francisco, one of the ways that you create horizontal displacement of the defense is you have to protect, right? And backs are a big, big part of protection. But if they're not used in protection, how quickly they can get out and how quickly they can get to their spot and how quickly we can get out to our spot and not stack the primary read of the route concept. So right. I'm not going to kind of lackadaisically check to the flat or do my check sit over the ball. I'm going to sprint to that responsibility because I know I can affect coverage and I can get the ball with, with the defense spaced out or I can attract coverage to me and I can help the concept. I can help the quarterback. So I think that's a huge element. Um, and again, that's an element of good offenses is because the more eligible as you can get into the route concept, the more opportunities you have to complete the football. So I think the backs are going to be a huge part of that, not necessarily because of anything they showed in, in OTAs and minicamp, but because of how they utilize them in Kansas City. Right. And so I, I think that's a huge, huge element um, that's going to help this offense if that if that group can be, become more efficient in that area. It also seems like in talking to some of those backs that they understand maybe how to fit into the routes better and how sure. where their position impacts how somebody else is you know, and that should be basic, but that's one of the things they've taught. And that's some of the details too. Absolutely, man. And that's something that, you know, you have great insight on because you do a great job at, about talking to these guys, but the backs, like they play a huge role and it might seem like a nothing route, but if you're able to move a linebacker because you're running aggressively to the flat, you're able to move that linebacker three feet, a yard, yard and a half, that makes a bigger window for the quarterback for that dig coming in behind or the, or the curl coming in behind or the out route by the tight end. And so understanding how you, your timing and your speed to your position and location and depth of that route um, is going to be huge because like, again, it's just making your offense more and more efficient each time you get someone in the right spot in timing um, and getting more eligibles out in the concept. With um, Sam Howell, because obviously the whole thing here is going to be about his development. What did you see from him this spring? And, you know, I get asked too, and like, I think one thing I always warn people about is you can't be results necessarily just results oriented when you're watching these practices, because you have to know what went into a decision, why a throw was made, why a play was made or not made. And so sometimes you might see a pick, but you can't say, you just can't assume one thing you know what you're watching. So what did you see from Howell throughout the spring? I actually thought, you know, given how well the defense, especially in the back end was playing, I thought he did sure. a really nice job of, yeah. of getting the ball out uh, on yeah. time and on rhythm and into some tight window throws. You know, I think there was this kind of um, narrative 
circulating about him that he was not uh, being overly efficient. But when you look at his three and five step stuff, I thought he was pretty good. Yeah. It got a little bit dicey for me, like when he had to push the ball down the field. You know, you got to read kind of big sweeping safeties and and the safeties and the secondary in general did a great job kind of matching those deeper concepts and putting them in positions where, you know, either I got to force this football or I got to make a big boy decision and check it down and throw it out of bounds. And I felt sometimes he was trying to force that football down the field a little bit too aggressively, which again, like, you know, Fred Smoot is a big advocate of Sam Howell. And he's like, I'd rather him do that now so he can learn what he can and cannot right. do. So I believe I in that too. Yeah. And I think you've mentioned that to me as well. And so I don't really have a problem with that, but it's just about understanding like to me, like the worst kind of thing a quarterback can do is when it's, is when they're late on the read and they're trying to force the football in some place it shouldn't go. It's one thing to be late and then throw it to somebody who's open because you it just took you a minute to get there. It's another thing to be late and then compound your mistake with a with a, with a ball that shouldn't be thrown. And I felt like he did that a couple of times, but it's practice, man. It's right. part of his growing. And I think overall, my I came out of, of training camp very impressed with him, or, or mini camp in OTAs, very impressed with him um, and his maturity as a player. Like that, that defense was playing – lights out man in the back end they were playing lights out matching stuff really well they don't have to negotiate with the run it's very very tough sledding and i thought he just did a great job of um feeling it feeling himself in the pocket getting the ball where it's supposed to go and and he had to make some really tough accurate tight window throws and um hopefully he can continue to mature in that area but i think he showed you enough signs like people ask me like oh is he going to be the starter or is, is jacoby going to be the starter um, or should he, or does Jacoby deserve more reps, you know, questions along those lines. And to me, Sam did everything he needed to do to say, yeah. I, I deserve the first crack at this. And that's all you can do in this period, I think. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. I'm glad to hear you say it. Cause like somebody asked me this in a mailbag I did last week and I had pretty much, you know, they're like, Oh, we hear this, we hear this, we hear this. And I'm like, I thought he had a good spring because you saw growth in certain yeah. areas. I felt like too, in the seven on seven, I know it's seven on seven, but the timing and rhythm was really good there. I felt. Yeah. And so like that to me eventually carries over. You just, there is, you know, you put the element of the rush in there and all that. It's a little bit different, but you know, I felt like that was a good thing for him. And, you know, I think what, what you want to see is growth from him. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's important that I have to remind myself constantly with OTAs and minicamp is that the offense is not game planning for the defense. Right. And you, you, you mentioned that to me and I, you know, I think it's really great insight because like during the blitz period, I'm not repping the blitzes. I'm not trying to defeat the blitzes the way I would an opponent. I'm not trying to develop in or install concepts to beat certain coverages. You know, like the I'm just installing my offense. And I might have some coaching points, some ideas. Hey, on this corner, because they're running this quarters, look, I might need to sit it down here or whatever the coaching point is. But I'm not like putting in my quarters beater on the day that the defense puts in quarters because right. that's not fair to the defense, you know? So he's, he, he had to do some, some tough sailing during OTAs and minicamp, especially after like the first three or four days and um, hats off to him. I thought he handled it well. I'm sure he was frustrated at times because that defense, again, they did a great job, but um, overall, I think he deserves this opportunity and, and, you know, there's still a lot that needs to happen. There's still that Baltimore practice. There's still training camp. There's still preseason to kind of finalize that assessment. But I think as of right now, um, he deserves this opportunity. How will that help him going like the, the situation with, like, with the blitzes and all that, how, and going against this defense, but the blitzes and having to plan for something or having to basically on the fly 
face something you haven't seen. How will that help him down the road? Um, that's, I think it just kind of, cause you're not always going to be right when you're playing right. quarterback, you know, you're not always going to be like, um, someone said Tom Brady's superpower, uh, I think Byron Leftwich, uh, he said his superpower was the ability to do the boring thing every single time. Mm. And that's really hard. And one of the, one of the things that going against a defense that is knows what you're doing is it forces you to go to do the boring thing all the time. Like you, might, you know, maybe you don't want to check the ball down. Maybe you want to try and force that ball in there. But hey, I need to get a feel for what I can and cannot do. If that window's cloudy, which again, a lot of cloudy windows. Again, defense was awesome. A lot of cloudy windows. I got to be mature enough to know I can't make that throw. I got to get the ball to my second read or my third read and get the and live to play another day. And I think that's because that's NFL defense. You're not going to know all the time what the defense was doing. Like we had um, Matt Ryan on our podcast, uh, the Take Command podcast with Craig Hoffman, and Matt Ryan was like, "Dude, there's times like where you don't know the picture and you got to trust your initial just kind of glance at the coverage to say that's too murky for me to make this throw. The ball's got to be out." And I think that takes a certain level of maturity, but you don't get that unless you're challenging yourself. And right. he was challenged in practice, which I think is good. Did you come away from the spring more or less optimistic about the offense based on what you saw? Um, I would or did say, it change anything for you? Yeah, I would say I came out, you know, anytime you say more optimistic, everyone thinks they're going to be the, uh, you know. Yeah. The, well, how, let me just say this in general. How did you come away in general yeah. about the offense after the spring? I was pleasantly surprised. Let me just say that. It, you know, he's a, you got a second-year quarterback. You got a new offense. Was it perfect? No. But was it good? Was it serviceable? Was it like a C plus B minus, which is what you're looking for, kind of going against a good defense in the offseason with those variables? I think so. And I'm I, I'm cautiously optimistic that the offense under Eric Bieniemy can be in a better spot because I saw more diversity. I saw um, – concepts that are going to help the quarterback i saw um again just a a maturity from a young quarterback that i wasn't expecting now was it perfect no but there were some signs that i'm like i'm i'm encouraged you know i'm encouraged about the direction that they're going and i think um i think the fans should be too and again there's still a lot of football a lot of um development this offseason that needs to occur but in terms of first steps i think these were very very positive That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan for joining me and thank you as always for tuning in. Don't forget you can find Logan on the Take Command podcast with Craig Hoffman. You can find that wherever you find your podcast. He also does work for the commanders. A lot of stuff with Craig Smoot, Santana Moss, Joey Donaldson, all that good stuff. So check him out there too. And um, he's on Instagram. Check him out there. Does a lot of film breakdown. Always worth paying attention to what Logan has to say. Again, I'll be back on Thursday with Logan talking about the commander's defense. I'll talk to you next time.